0: Good morning and welcome to Unionville Alliance Church. Uh, it's good for Mary Lee and I to be back. We were just on a short term missions trip to Swaziland. So, this is kind of our first Sunday back uh, participating fully in the service. We had an awesome time over there showing God's love to children mainly. We worked with an orphanage as well as with local churches to give out food um, and disciple the people in charge of these kids so that they can grow up with the firm foundation of those who grow up in the church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We pray that as we open your word, that you help us to learn how to express ourselves to you. We pray that you would guide us in your loving embrace. Lord, guide my words as you have given them to me. And just be here, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. So, we're in a series um, going through the Psalms, looking at different ways to express our emotions to God. This morning, we're dealing with a very difficult topic. It's one that we don't discuss, especially not in church. It's a topic that many people run away from. They don't want to know about it, they don't want to hear about it. We hide this emotion to the best of our abilities. And pretend that what we're doing is okay, and we're surviving. It's an emotion that may drive us to do crazy things. It may drive us to sin more. And it may drive us to totally run away from God, turning our backs on him. The emotion we're going to talk about today is guilt. And with that, the shame that comes right beside it. Now, for all of us to be on the same page, I'm going to define a term that as churchgoers, we may think we understand, but that a lot of times it's not well defined, and that term is sin. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. In other words, it's being ungodly, to be unlike God, committing crimes against God, breaking his laws. Now, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, Everybody has experienced guilt. We've all been there where we've done something we think is wrong and we're eaten up with guilt because of it. Maybe you lied to someone or stole, or maybe you did physical harm to someone, and that guilt just reigns inside of you. It takes control of our lives. But as we grow older, maybe we become a little bit less guilty feeling. We learn to rationalize, thinking the little white lie told is not a big deal compared to what so-and-so has done. If I lie, it's okay as long as I'm not as bad as the thief or the murderer. And that's how we start to rationalize. Or we desensitize ourselves by watching certain TV or movies or listening to certain music with messages that promote all of these sinful acts. And we start to think that's not so bad. Those people got ahead. So can I. As long as it's for my benefit, maybe there's nothing wrong with it. And finally, the thing we do most often is find excuses. We tend to blame other people for our problems. Maybe you blame your parents. If they had only given me this thing, if they hadn't punished me quite so much, if they had raised me better, I wouldn't have done that. It's their fault. Or maybe it's the government that we blame. If taxes weren't so high, I wouldn't have to hide my income. I wouldn't have to cheat on my taxes, work under the table, pretend like I only earn this so I pay less, so I can put food on the table for my family. It's not my fault that I have to steal. There's always some sort of method that we employ to lessen our guilty feelings. When I was in grade seven, we had locker buddies. So you were assigned someone to share a locker with because there weren't enough lockers to go around. The school would hand you a lock. You'd both know the combination. You had access whenever you needed. Well, as a young person, I thought, let's try and see if I still fit in the locker. So me and a couple of friends, I get inside. They shut the door, throw the lock on, click. I'm inside. I fit. Perfect. The issue is getting back out. You see, my locker buddy seems to have forgotten the combination. (laughs) I hear them spinning it, and it's not unlocking. You hear the pull of them trying to open it. It doesn't work. Not a big deal. Lockers are thin. I start calling out the numbers. It's still not working. What they're doing is just not working. So then I start giving instructions twice to the right, and then to the number, then once to the left, to the number. And as I finish, the vice principal walks past and hears me from within the locker. Obviously, they don't encourage kids to get in a locker and get locked in. So once I instructed the vice principal on our locker combination, she wanted to hear our stories. She wanted to know what led to this grade seven boy being locked in a locker, and there only being kind of two people standing around at a time that not a ton of people were out there. So we each tell our story. But as a scared 11-year-old, I decide it's better to lie than to tell the truth. It's better to say I had nothing to do with this. I simply reached into my locker, I fell in, and they slammed the door on me. I figured I'm not in trouble if I do that. They can take the trouble, and I'll be good to go. My plan worked perfectly, except for the fact that I hurt my friend. And then I felt guilty for it. And then I started to convince myself that the lie was the truth. No, I must have been reaching in. There's no reason I would have got in a locker willingly. That's ridiculous. But it's something that stuck with me. And years later, I eventually had to email this friend and apologize because we were out of contact other than email. Because I was still so guilt-ridden that I had blamed them for something that no one really probably would have gotten punished with if I came clean because it was just a stupid idea by a bunch of kids. But you see, that guilt ate me up. To the point that no matter how hard I buried it, it still would come back up at random times. Because guilt doesn't go away. No matter the methods we use, we cannot remove the guilt. It festers like an open wound. We ignore it. We hide it. We pretend life is good. But it doesn't fix things. I'm sure everyone has some sort of story where they felt guilt. Maybe it seems a little silly as an adult looking back over what we did. Or maybe it's something that still rules our lives. Either way, we all know what guilt feels like. Maybe you've lied like I did and hurt a friend. Or maybe you've cheated. Or maybe there is a test. You just looked over and took one answer from your friend. Or as I said before, with your taxes, maybe you filled out that line a little bit lower than you should have. Others may feel guilty for sexual wrongdoing. Maybe you've cheated on a spouse with a friend or a coworker, or even looked at pornography. There are all these levels of sin in the human mind, but all of them are wrongdoing. All of them are sin and all of them create guilt. Because when we sin, when we do wrong, we step out of step outside of God's will. Guilt becomes all-consuming. It drives us away from family, friends, and especially God. We run from God because if he finds out our guilt, we have to admit it, and we don't want to. Out of fear, we run because we don't want to be found out. Now, luckily, we have God's word. We have the Bible that tells stories and stories of different life experiences of those who follow God and those who don't. And there's a story of a man who feels that guilt and is eaten up by it. This man, a lot of people know as King David. He's the king of all Israel, the second king. Or maybe you know him as David who killed Goliath. Or David the psalmist, who wrote all these songs that are in the Old Testament. But sometimes we forget David the adulterer. David the murderer. David the sinner. Because when we look back, we know that David's called a man after God's own heart. Even despite his sins. The story unfolds in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. King David is there. And it's spring. Spring is the time the kings go off to war. They protect their borders, they expand. And King David stayed home. It's vacation time. Send the men out to die and I'll stay here. Seems like a good plan. And he walks around his balcony one day and he looks down and sees this beautiful woman bathing before him. And he sends a servant and says, Find out who this woman is. And the servant comes back and says, It's Bathsheba. She's married to Uriah. Uriah is off at war. King David, being a noble man, says, Okay, I'll leave it. I won't play on those attractions. I'm good to go. Right? Man after God's own heart? Couldn't be further from the truth. David, fully knowing that Bathsheba is married, sends for her, brings her to his palace, and sleeps with her. He commits adultery with one of his men's wives. But it gets worse. You see, it should have been forgotten, but Bathsheba gets pregnant. She hasn't seen her husband in a long time, and she's pregnant. It's clear that she's committed adultery. So David makes up a way to cover up his sin. He sends for Uriah. Uriah comes back, gives him this report of war, what's been going on. David says, thanks, go home to your wife. I'll send you back to the front in a little bit. But you see, Uriah is noble. Uriah decides instead of going home to his wife, he'll sleep in the servants' quarters. Because why should he get this joy of seeing his family and his wife while his brothers are fighting and dying on the front lines? So David thinks up a new plan. The next day, he gets him drunk. We're going to have a party. Drink as much as you want then go home to your wife. But even in a drunken state, Uriah is more noble than King David. And he stays in the servants' quarters again. Now David's in trouble. There's no way to say that it's Uriah's kid. So part two of the plan starts. Plan B. You see David writes a letter and gives it to Uriah to deliver to the captain of the army. The letter instructs the captain, to bring the men into war. Put Uriah in the worst part of the battle, the most dangerous part of the battle, and when everybody is dying, retreat. But don't tell Uriah. Let Uriah be slain. Problem solved. Husband's dead. No one has an issue. David waits the proper time and marries Bathsheba, looking like the good guy for adopting in this family who has lost a husband and a supposed father. Life seems to go on. A few of the servants know, obviously, the commander of the army knows. But things seem all right. Until God instructs Nathan the prophet to come by and talk to David. Now Nathan, being a wise prophet, decides not to go right to the heart of the issue, but tell a parable. He says there's a rich man. He has lots and lots of sheep. But there's also a poor man with one sheep. And the poor man takes care of this sheep like his own child. Now, the rich man has some friends come over and decides, I want to have a party. We'll slaughter a sheep. But instead of taking one of his many, he steals the sheep from the poor man. King David is outraged, of course, and he says, who is this man? He deserves to be punished. Nathan, I'm sure a little bit uneasy, says, it's you. You took Bathsheba. You had access to any of the single women. And yet, you took what didn't belong to you. We find David's response in Psalm chapter 51. After Nathan approaches him, his guilt is fully realized and he cries out to God. This is what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You see, when David is faced with guilt, he does run at first and hide from it and cover it up. But when approached by Nathan, he turns back to God. He throws himself at God's feet. In fact, he pleads to be forgiven, to be renewed and cleansed. David recognizes his situation, and he knows that the only way to be right with God is through God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness. All too often when we sin, we run away from God. We feel we're not good enough to approach him. Why would God accept me? I'm a mess. But David turned around and went back. He pleads for forgiveness, crying, Have mercy on me. He confesses and acknowledges his sin, and he says that he knows those sins. It isn't just a blanket statement. He confesses his individual sins to God. He also reveals the fact that although he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, ultimately his sin was against God. Because it was God's law that he broke, not man's. He reveals that as a human, he was born into sin just as all humans are. And in comparison to God, we see God who delights in truth, man who delights in wickedness. When David says he sinned against God and God alone, he doesn't deny that he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. He simply acknowledges that their forgiveness isn't enough because he has broken God's laws. And God is the only one who can give a pardon, who can fully forgive and rescue him from what he deserves. After confessing, David pleads for cleansing. In our culture, this isn't as much at the forefront, but in the Israelite culture, there was different things that made you unclean, and things that made you clean. Sin was a blemish that made you unclean. But there are other things, such as being around a dead body. So when you were around a dead body, you were declared unclean. And in order to be made clean, a clean person must take hyssop branches, dip them in water, and sprinkle them on you. And that would represent a ritual cleanness that was given. And there were also ritual baths that they would have to take to cleanse themselves. That's what David is asking for. But he doesn't ask it of a human. He asks it of God. The only being who could ever truly cleanse him. Who could ever make him new again. In fact, he talks about being whiter than snow. True cleanness throughout his entirety. Recognizing that he himself could never do enough to cleanse. To be right with God. Then we approach a very famous part of the passage. Verse 10 and 11. But we also must include verse 12 in this. This is what it says. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David doesn't just ask for forgiveness. He asks for restoration. He asks that his spirit would be restored. He calls upon God not to just mend his broken and dirty heart, but to create a new, clean heart within him. His heart is damaged and dirty and sinful, and he needs a new heart from God. He pleads not to have God's spirit taken from him. You see, we already saw that with Saul, the first king of Israel. Saul sinned, and God removed his spirit and anointed David. And David became king. And David is scared that this sin might separate him from his creator. So he pleads not to have the Holy Spirit removed from him. He understands the weight of his sin. He cries for healing and forgiveness. And then speaks of right sacrifice. The sacrificial system back in Israel was to slaughter an animal for your sins. David recognizes that just an outward act doesn't fix things. That the only sacrifice that God fully accepts is a broken and contrite heart. David breaks before God and says, I need you. At the end, there's kind of a strange few verses. There's a call for the healing of Zion, of Jerusalem, of the people of Israel. Seems a little weird because David over here is pleading for his personal forgiveness and healing. And then this few verses suddenly plead for the people of Israel. It doesn't seem to make sense. Some even say that maybe that was added later. But the truth is, David's sin affected his community. His sin hurt other people. His sin broke relationships. In fact, as the king... When he sinned, he may have made other people feel they were justified in their sins. If King David can get away with adultery and murder, I can do whatever I want. It's up to me, because he got away with it. I'm good. You see, the whole community needed healing because of David's sin, not just David himself. Just as when we sin, we affect others in our community, especially very large sins that can separate churches, split churches, chase people away from God, we need to pray for healing for those we have hurt with our sin, as well as our own healing. And Finally, we'll jump back to a section of verses that I've skipped. Verse 13 through 15. This is David's response to God. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare praise. You see, David didn't go to God for forgiveness and keep it quiet. This psalm was published for everybody in the community. David used his sin, his story or testimony, to direct people back to God. He humbles himself, acknowledging his sin before all of God's people. And he allows God's grace and mercy to shine through in the midst of his sin. You see, when God forgives, when God shows mercy to the undeserving, he must rejoice. Whenever we're freed from a debt, We find joy, whether that's a debt to a person, but even more so to God. God turns our shame and guilt into overwhelming joy in salvation. How can we feel anything other than joy as we look upon our Savior, Jesus Christ, who took our punishment that we deserved, the wrath of God that should have been on each of us. He bore on his shoulders, so that we might be forgiven. So that we could approach the throne of God and say, cleanse me, heal me, forgive me, so that we might not have to take on the punishment. Christ made us right with God through his sacrifice. Because he's a perfect sacrifice. Because he is God. We can be healed and called children of God. We're left with two choices when it comes to guilt. We can wallow in our guilt. We can push it down and try and hide it and just leave it in our lives, pretend like life is good. Or we can follow David's example. where he seeks forgiveness and healing. There are four steps that David takes throughout this psalm. Step one, he faces up to it, just as we need to face up to it. David approaches God and admits his sin. He recognizes that he has sinned. The second step we need to take is to deal with God about our sin. Simply seeking forgiveness from those we harmed is not enough. David knows that. And he goes to God and explains that he understands he sinned against God. That's step two. Dealing with God. Step three is a desire to change. You see, David didn't walk up and say, I've sinned and walk away and continue sinning. He desired change in his life. He sought renewal, a recreated heart. But also he pleads for a willing heart to accept the change that has to be done. And the final step, step four, is to believe that God will accept you. David gives his response to God's forgiveness. Believing that God is faithful and that his grace is sufficient. How much more now that we have Jesus who has died once for all, can we trust that God is faithful to forgive us and heal us and renew us? We're already past God's provision of eternal life through Jesus' sacrifice. David hadn't seen it yet, but trusted God. We have so much more reason To trust God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for David and the example that he sets for us. We thank you that even in the midst of his sin, David turns back to you and you forgive him. We pray that you would help us come to you with our guilt with our sins, with our pain. That we wouldn't leave this place today still consumed by guilt, trying to just survive. But that we would come before you, admitting our guilt and seeking a new heart from you, forgiveness from you, which you offer freely. Help us to do the business we need to with you today. Create in us clean hearts, O oh God, and renew right spirits within us.